Hey Bowlers, you're listening to Bowl After Bowl, episode 18 on Friday, December 12th, 2014. I'm smoking bowl after bowl. And I smoke. Hey everybody. Woohoo. Welcome back. Yep. It's Friday. And this is Lauren Rose. And this, this is of course Spencer <laughs> Pearson. So good at introductions uh, yeah. in this life and the others. Yeah, we really are terrible at introductions, but we had an awesome week, and last Friday was the Show Me Cannabis Repeal Day Party, which right. was a smashing success. It was out in St. Louis at the Mad Art Gallery. Uh, which is, uh, it used to be a cop shop, and then right. they turned it into an art gallery. It's so. so cool in there. It's like, you go in there, and they had all the lights dimmed, and like the main... Uh, back room is this big art gallery, but then there was like little jail cells and like, uh, the bartender's bar is set up in sort of the information desk, the old information desk of an old cop shop. It's like right when you walk in the door, there's like, you know, the old screen ish window thing with the, it looks like there should just be like a little cop secretary sitting there, but there's a bartender. It was so cool. Yeah, it was really awesome. And the perfect place for a repeal day party. Absolutely. And uh, we met some cool people there, uh, one of which was Adela Falk, who lives just south of Columbia, I guess, and she started POW420, which is, she created a database of everyone who's serving life in prison for cannabis, um, and that's pretty awesome. She had some Christmas cards there, and so we got to write some cards to some inmates who are serving life for cannabis. Um yeah, if you want to check out more of uh, her group, you can find them on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash POW420, POW420. Yeah, and we'll have a link in the show notes, too. Um, we also met Mike Adams, who is my favorite High Times writer, which is badass. He's a certified badass. Yeah, certified badass. And, because, um, you know, when he's not working, when he's not writing for High Times, he writes for Playboy and Hustler. So yeah. So it's, like, <laughs> it's like the trifecta of, like, cool ma- magazines, you know? Yeah. Badass motherfucker, as he would say. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but so we had a great time at the event, and then uh, I think it was what Monday morning or something. Spencer's open. Tuesday. He's like on his phone, you know, just going through the news, whatever, and he just yells, "Baby, baby, come now!" And so I go, and he's like, "We're in high times." And I was like, no fucking way. Yeah, right, whatever. But then I see it, and sure enough, there's a picture of us in High Times. And Mike Adams wrote the article, and he even quoted Spencer, who was so cool. And he also gave a shout-out to uh, Bull After Bull. And he did mention the podcast. Was, so that's, like, really big for our show to have our first mention in High Times. You know? <laughs> yeah. Certainly don't want to let it be our last, but it's just, like, it's crazy. Uh, Mike actually sent me the link on Facebook is how I knew. So he just, like... Oh, cool. Popped it over to me, and I was like, oh, my God. This is like a bucket list thing, you know? This is like a, like a game changer, you know what I mean? I immediately said, I mean, I've been working on <clears throat> trying to polish the website up a little bit, uh, helping us out on uh, rankings, SEO shit, you know, going in there and making sure everything's tagged right and the keywords that uh, are driving people to each post are present throughout the article, that kind of thing, so... Um, been trying to learn a lot about uh, search engine optimization over the past week or two, and definitely since definitely since we get the high times mentioned, because people are going to want to try and find us, and want to be able to make sure that they can find us. Mm-hmm. Another thing that uh, another thing that we've really been working on is trying to um, make sure that we have 
uh, enough content and good content every time. So I think, Lauren, you've been doing a really good job at that. And Thanks. Done a good job today, especially. Yep. And uh, we're going to work on having some longer uh, blog posts to go along with these things, too, for yeah anyone that can't listen or, you know, just to help our search engine opt- optimization. Another thing that we actually got done that I've been working on since really the inception of the show is we finally got our feed submitted to iTunes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was some uh, conflicts with a plug-in or something, but I uh, finally figured it out, ironed it out, and so... We've submitted to iTunes, and we're waiting back for approval, but uh, once we get on the iTunes store, people will be able to subscribe from anywhere, be able to download our content very easily and automatically to their uh, iPhone or you know iOS device. So that's something that we we're really, really, really looking forward to, and uh, that'll be huge for the show as well. Yeah. Um, and so, the, you know, the fun never ends with uh, the cannabis legalization movement. Uh, this weekend, we're attending another Show Me Cannabis event in Kansas City. Um, It's a comedy event at the Uptown Theater, and I am super duper excited. Um, And so, yeah, like, we'll have updates on that in our next episode next week. But uh, I really, really want to encourage you all to get involved with activism in some way. If you love cannabis, please just get involved. It's, you know... I'm a journalist, technically. I'll be graduating next Friday from uh, the University of Missouri. But just don't be afraid to tell people what you think. Like, a lot of people want cannabis legalized. And, you know, we're not the minority anymore. And just don't be afraid to be you and tell people what you think. And get involved. Meet other people. It's so cool. It's a great networking opportunity. And fuck, you might end up in high times, you know? (laughs) so uh last week my capstone class did their final presentation which we called cover your gap and um that refers to uh economic inequality in the income gap um and our presentation i think went really well spencer attended and we also uh did a live stream online and we basically created a style guide to teach journalists how they can better cover um, economic inequality in America by working it into the coverage that they already produce. What did you think about our uh, presentation, Spence? I mean, it was a very much a college class presentation, <laughs> you know? I mean... Uh, yeah. Uh, it kind of... Uh, it's. I think the thing I found most surprising is that uh, we're at this step, you know? That uh, it's 2014, and uh, the best journalism school in the world is just now looking at income inequality and mm-hmm. just now trying to figure out how to report on it. Like, it just seems a little bit like behind the times. Yeah, like where <laughs> have you guys been? You know. Yeah. Um, but having said that, I don't know. It seemed uh, it seemed very safe. You know. Yeah. All the answers were very safe, and uh, this whole notion of. Uh, um, I, th- I think the point that was reiterated a lot was it's not our job to, uh, you know, find solutions or decide what's right. It's just our job to report facts and then let the public and politicians decide. And it's just like it kind of echoes the whole uh, national phenomenon of a lack of accountability and a lack of personal responsibility and a lack of, uh, you know, the buck stopping any fucking where, really. Uh, mm-hmm. No one takes – no one takes responsibility for their own actions. No one, you know, and I think it's really just, uh, it's a, 
it's a pussy move. It's a cop out to say, yes, I'm a journalist, but you know, my stories, it's not my job to, uh, tell anybody anything. It's not my job to, you know, it's like, well, why are you writing if you're not going to bring somebody, uh, the truth or bring them, you know, a call to action. Right. Yeah. And I mean, uh, the truth is hard to find. You got to do some digging for it. And I think that we have kind of a, uh, press release journalism going on where you know corporations or public officials release a press release we get it in our inboxes and then we write up an article where we just reword the press release maybe we call the contact number on the press release get a quote and then boom there's our article right it's you know it's kind of sad but i think it's like especially in mainstream newspapers it's just it just seems more rare to even see people writing. It's more like the writers are just a conduit for other people's press release writings to just yeah. flow through, you know? It's like they don't really add – and you're discouraged from adding your own flavor or your own opinion or your own thought, which is you know, the, it's the whole reason that we have the press freedoms in the First Amendment is so that the press can look at things and put their own opinion on it and tell the public, hey, this is, you know, this is wrong. What's going on is wrong. Mm-hmm. And you can never say that in the press now because of you know the way that things are taught and uh, this need to be unbiased, right? The the false idea that you can even uh, accomplish anything like that, a uh, lack of bias, really, really, uh, you know, a lack of bias is just going to push you more toward not the truth. You know, yeah, Tr- I trying agree. trying to cover every side is going to force you to cover things that are, are just wrong. Yep. So I don't know. I mean, that's what I kind of got out of that and, you know, just sort of reiterated all the reasons that I dropped out of the J school in the first place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I played it safe in the presentation. I was the microphone girl. I did not say anything. Yeah. I just passed the mic to people in the audience who had questions and comments. And, uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe they made you a mic girl and that, that one girl could barely read a piece of paper. <laughs> I was like, um, well, that's okay. Well, that's all right. <laughs> Less work for me to have to do to Absolutely. prepare. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> microphone girl's exactly where you want to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's been kind of a busy week in cannabis news. Um, the Department of Justice recently said that Native American tribes can grow and sell cannabis on their sovereign territories if they abide by federal statutes. Uh, they laid out these federal statutes in the Cole Memo, which was sent out in August 2013. Mm-hmm. Um Okay, so when a news story comes out like this, I do not read it on the LA Times or any website where I'm seeing it. I search for the Associated Press version because the Associated Press breaks the news. And then they send out a wire story. And people either republish the wire story or they send reporters to localize it or rewrite it, basically. Um, So just to get through all the, like, mucky journalism i go straight to the associated press whenever i see news like this and i think you all should too if you're trying to follow cannabis news um and so then from there i read through this and uh, i always look for the sources where are they getting this information from um this time they were referring to the Cole memo as i mentioned which was sent out in august 2013 and later a memo that was published uh yesterday but dated october 28th so I'm not sure why we the public didn't see this, but, you know. Um, so the Cole memo from 2013 lists eight trigger points that will get the federal government involved. 
And so this memo released yesterday says to the Native Americans, hey, you can grow and sell cannabis on your sovereign land. It'll be a good way for you guys to make money. Um, but you need to follow these eight guidelines so that we don't get involved, the feds. And the trigger points are uh, distribution to minors, revenue going to criminal enterprises, um, if cannabis is being transferred from a legal state to an illegal state, uh, selling other drugs, so, you, you know, you can't sell cocaine, just cannabis, um, if there's any violence that's going on during the cultivation or distribution process, um, they're trying to also prevent drug driving, um, they don't want cannabis to be grown on public lands, and they want to prevent the possession and use on federal property. So, what do you think about that, Sven? Well, I mean, there seems to be a couple of these that the uh, sales point would not have control over. For example, uh, the, uh, you know, the prevention of it tra transferring over state lines or into illegal states, transferring cannabis from legal to illegal states. Once you sell somebody some cannabis, what, you know, is it is it your fault that they take it over state line, you know? Right. Or distribution to minors, too, you know? If someone's going in to buy for the uh, their younger friend, how are you going to know that? Uh, how do you know that now as a liquor store owner? You know, you kind of have to use your best judgment and guess, but uh, kids are going to be sneaky and no one's just going to tell you, hey, can I have some weed for a minor? No, mm -hmm. it's going to be like they're going to present a valid ID and buy it. Um, a lot, Another thing is this uh, preventing possession use on federal property. I'm assuming it doesn't involve Indian territory, right? That's all right. sovereign land. Yep. And, um so yeah, I mean, a lot of this is just uh, a lot of this is just kind of uh, obvious stuff. But you know, you've we've seen the federal government make arguments that this is happening when it isn't. So uh, I don't really see it as as big of a green light as maybe it's being celebrated as. You know what I mean? Right. I think that uh, we'd ha we'll we'll just have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see what happens because. Absolutely. Um, any one of these things could just be cited as a boot hits your door, you know? Yeah. Any one of these things can be cited. They, well, they also mentioned in the Cole memo that they're not limited to these eight trigger points. They can come in for any reason. Right. You know? It's, uh, they just say that these are the, these are the tip-offs to them. These are the reasons why they usually are called in for an investigation. It's like, it's like the old Clint Eastwood, like, pick up the gun, pick up the gun. And then, you know, you can pick up the gun and <laughs> he had a gun, you know, yeah. like I, I just don't see it as a I don't see it as a very uh, waterproof, airtight, like, you know, right. I, basically, I wouldn't want to be the first Indian reservation that sets up a grow shop, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the other thing, too, is that in legal states like Washington, um, there there's a lot of concern with dispensary owners about, oh, well, the Indians can grow it cheaper and sell it cheaper because they don't have to, you know, pay the, I don't know, all the different, like, city codes and taxes and stuff that the dispensaries have right. to. So will people stop going to dispensaries and instead go to Native American, uh, you know, reservations to get cannabis? It I don't know. It's. I mean, the Native American thing has always been really weird in this country, and uh, you know, right now you have a lot of casino activity on uh, a lot of Native American reservations. In some states, that's the only places they can be. You know, mm. is uh, 
like if your state bans gambling altogether, um, those Indian nations that aren't part of your state government still can have uh, casinos. And so, you know, they get a lot of gambling revenue, a lot of other stuff that you can't do anywhere else. You'd have to go to Indian territory to do. So it's kind of makes sense, you know, uh, that uh, since we have all this discussion and momentum around uh, lifting and easing up on cannabis laws, that uh, that the Indian nations would be um, addressed. And, uh, you know, the same goes for alcohol. Like a, a lot of the... Um, uh, a lot of the laws differ from state and Indian nations, too, you know? Yeah. Um, well, there's more than 550 federally recognized tribes in the United States, and not all of them support cannabis legalization. Right. So, um, you know, I don't know. We'll just have to see. I think this is really interesting, though. Um, it's an interesting move. <laughs> And I also just wonder if this is going to just lead to more excuses for the feds to raid Indian country. I don't know. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. That's we can't. My we can't really know until we uh, f- until we see it. Yeah. Also, this week, uh, people have been talking about the omnibus spending bill and what it means for cannabis. Uh, as you know, four states and Washington D.C. have legalized cannabis recreationally as well as medically. 23 states have legalized it medically, and 11 states, including Missouri, have legalized CBD oils, which are a non-psychoactive compound in cannabis that's used to um, therapeutically benefit uh, epilepsy, mostly in children. Um, So the omnibus spending bill, I had to do a review of American government (laughs) when I started reading this, just so that I was positive I knew what I was talking about. Uh, the the spending bill, the omnibus spending bill, is a type of bill in the United States that um, packages a lot of smaller appropriations bills into one huge bill that can be passed with a single vote. Now, appropriations bills <laughs> are legislative motions authorizing the government to spend money. Um, it, it's a bill that sets money aside for specific spending. And the funding provided covers a full fiscal year. To the federal government, that's the period between October 1st and September 30th of the following year. This omnibus spending bill has more than 1,600 pages, which I know no one has read every single page of this, including no. myself. Right. Um, and it, it, it allows more than $1.1 trillion in spending. This is a lot of money. So uh, I started going through the bill looking for keywords, uh, which is what I like to do, and I looked for marijuana and hemp to see what came up. Now, um, hemp, industrial hemp actually received protections in this bill, right. which is really cool. It uh, blocks the DEA from using funds to interfere in state legal industrial hemp research. There's 18 states that have legalized industrial hemp production. And uh, more than a dozen of others have introduced legislation that would authorize research or uh, set up a regulatory framework for it or legalize the growing of it. Um, So that's good. Let's see. Then uh, the Department of Justice uh, has been told that no federal funding can be used to prevent medical cannabis states from implementing their state laws in relation to cultivation, production, and distribution, which could mean no more federal raids on medical dispensaries. 
Or, yeah, they would have to pay for them out of pocket if they did them. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, here's the question on that. Could they maybe get a grant or some other kind of uh, state funding to do these raids? Oh, yeah. Um, but it's kind of hard to imagine they could if the if the state is legal, you know. Right. Either way, I mean, it, I think that this was a little, a good stipulation. I think that this is a right. move in the right direction. And, I mean, I'm tired of seeing federal raids on medical dispensaries. Yeah, absolutely. So. It's terrible. Yeah. Now, uh, this omnibus spending bill, however, contains a rider which is an additional provision added to the bill that has very little connection with the bill's subject matter and um, is usually used as a tactic to pass a controversial provision that wouldn't pass on its own. It's, you know, it's how they sneak shit in, basically. Mm-hmm. Now, as you remember, uh, Initiative 71 passed in Washington, D.C. with around 70% of the, the vote and uh, in November. It said yes to legalization of recreational cannabis. The uh, the Congress, however, has ultimate say in how the city spends its money. So the spending bill forbids the city from using funds to legalize drugs banned under federal law. And as you know, uh, the DEA still classifies cannabis as a Schedule One substance, and uh, it says that it has currently no accepted medical use. Um, however, you know, there's some people that say uh, this might not... Because basically they just want to stop the city from being able to afford legalizing marijuana. There's some people that say that there's a loophole in the bill's language because it says they can't use the funds to, quote, carry out the legalization measure. But decriminalization is already in effect. So, you know. Yeah. Could they just use, like, could it all be private nonprofit funds? Because there has to be... There still has to be a state licensure system, I would assume, or yeah. a city a city licensure system because D.C. isn't in a state. It's in the district. So um, it would have to be – I mean basically that blocks anything from happening because if you can't spend any city money on a regulatory process, then you have no regulatory process. You, know, you can't just do that shit for free. Yeah. Um, and also this bill, this bill coming out was very interesting to see – uh, the press reaction because I saw lots of stories saying this protects hemp, this protects uh, state medical marijuana programs. Then I saw a lot of stories saying Congress is a douchebag. Congress just blocked D.C. legalization. Congress, you know, mm-hmm. and it sucks that it's the same bill. You know, it's the same bill that is doing both of these things and, uh, you know, obviously tons of other shit to add up to over a trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, which, by the way, a, tr- a trillion. You want to write that number out and look at that and yeah. tell me that's a real number. Tell me that's a, a real money yeah. that's being spent right now by our government. A trillion dollars. I know. Good fucking god. And we're already how far in debt? <laughs> right. So, anyways, to end on a more positive note, uh, there is the first ever cannabis auction in Washington, which is really badass. This. Uh, Randy Williams, the owner of Fireweed Farms, held the auction and generated more than $650,000 in sales. Wow. Uh, people were paying, like, he was selling it mostly by the pounds, and people were paying, like, 2 to $3 per gram. Um, so that was really cool. The so he just auctioned off a bunch of weed, basically. Yep. That's excellent. <laughs> now, I can't believe we missed that. I know. I know. <laughs> 
He uh, he lives in Prosser, Washington, and he tried to donate fourteen thousand dollars to the school district there, mm-hmm. but the superintendent is a prohibitionist, and he refused to take the donation because the profits came from cannabis sales. What an asshole! Just let that simmer in for a minute. Like you just said no to fourteen thousand dollars to your school when education is in in such a dire strait right now, such a bad spot that. Uh you're going to say no to 14 grand. How how do you think the people in his school district feel about that? Oh, I know. And, you know, so Randy Williams was a little bit taken aback, but he uh, he was like, well, I guess I'll just bring my money elsewhere. And he said that after that, a bunch of people were hitting him up like, hey, I could use the money. Right, you know, yeah, of yeah. Like, but, I can think of a lot of charities stepping forward and saying, hey, <laughs> 14 grand sounds pretty good to us. He was going to try and give it all to the uh, VFW, but they only took $1,000. And um, he gave the rest to a local family in need that didn't want to be identified. And I thought that was really nice of him. Yeah, that's cool. Um, but so I started looking into the school, you know, the superintendent, and I found out that <clears throat> the school receives revenue from a wine festival that they host every summer in the football stadium. And they also receive funding from a cigarette tax. So you won't support money that came from cannabis, but you will support money that came from alcohol and tobacco, which are much more harmful substances. You know, I just, I think it's interesting. I think it's very interesting. I think it sends the wrong message to our children. That's what I think. A little bit of double standard, double speak, a little bit of uh, just being an asshole in general. Yeah. Yep. But uh, speaking of tobacco, we've got uh, Tobacco 21 coming up for vote next Monday. Oh, boy. (laughs) You want to tell everyone what that's all about? Yeah, so uh, those of you who have been following along or those of you who just live in Columbia have obviously heard by now the recall effort uh, against Jenny Chadwick that's going on. Uh, She's the first ward city council person. And uh, right now, her pet legislation is Tobacco 21, and that comes up for a vote at the regular city council meeting on uh, Monday night, which uh, hopefully we'll have great little clips for that next week for you. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, as we see how that vote goes. Um, you know, and they may, they may even table it again. They may even just say, we don't want to vote on this yet, which wouldn't surprise me in the least. Uh, but basically, Tobacco 21 would raise the purchasing age of tobacco in the city of Columbia to 21 years old from 18 years old. You know, and there's all these public arguments about, you know, keeping kids safe and away from cigarettes, which is just stupid. Uh, They're going to, you know, kids are going to smoke if they want to smoke. And um, honestly, a lot, it's it's counterintuitive, all right, but a lot of the, as as we talked about last week, a lot of the prohibitions actually drive people to use more, uh, especially people who are rebellious in nature. You talk about high school students, that's sort of like peak rebelliousness in, you know, the natural uh, development of a human being. Your peak rebelliousness can be junior high and high school. And uh, if these kids hear that, you know, especially 18 to 21 year olds, if they hear, oh, we don't, you know, trust you to buy cigarettes, of course they're going to be more likely to buy cigarettes. I think that this is going to drive use. I think it's going to drive use up. Uh, people are going to be leaving, going to the outskirts of town to buy cigarettes. Um, now, I, I've i been digging through the uh, through the files, and I can't find specifically 
But there's been mention, and I know Melissa Sharp mentioned it in an op-ed on uh, Keep Columbia Free's blog, that this would not affect MU students, that there's somehow an, exep- an exception or an exemption for MU students. And I'm not sure how that would work. I'm not sure how that, uh, what, if you show your student ID that it's okay or something, but... Uh, That's pretty bullshit. I need, I need to look that up and try to, find, try to pin down an actual source of where that comes from. But if MU students are exempt, then basically you're talking about just 18 and over, uh, what, Columbia kids? Townies? Well, what about the other colleges? Would it or, be all colleges? Or the other or? colleges, maybe? I, mean, uh, I don't know. See, this is, a, like I'm saying, this, this is uh, something that was just mentioned in that op-ed. That's the only, like, solid source I can find that talks about it directly. But if if this law would not even affect Mizzou students, and I think that the point is that Mizzou students are from everywhere. They're not just from Columbia, right? So, uh, you know, if you're a smoker, like I'm from Kansas City, if you're a smoker and you come here and you're 18, you expect to still be able to buy cigarettes, you know? I mean, you're 18, that's that's the... Well, 18 is the age to buy cigarettes, and right. I don't understand why we should change it. It seems so complicated and unnecessary. And the campus is already smoke-free. Right. They've already done all that. It's already... You can get a citation for smoking on the sidewalk downtown, too, if you're within 20 feet of uh, the entrance to a building. You know, these people just hate smokers. It's just the nanny state. <laughs> Rearing its ugly head again. You know, I saw the other day a picture in the early uh, 1900s of a cop in full cop gear uh, with a with a yardstick measuring swimsuit length on beaches. And it's just the same type of bullshit. Are you 20 feet away or are you 21? This arbitrary bullshit law saying we know how to keep you safe. We're going to come here and ticket you if you're not keeping yourself safe. Give me a break, man. Don't you have better things to do? Isn't there some kind of violent Violence. crime? Aren't there a bunch of unsolved murders and rapes and theft and burglary and property destruction? Why don't you solve some real shit and not tell me where I can smoke my cigarette? How many years I have to exist on this planet before I can buy my cigarette? How long my swimsuit can be? Give me a break on this shit, man. It's also worth mentioning that uh, this ban... Uh, would also include e-cigarettes. Right. And, so um, that is actually even more harmful, in my opinion. You can talk about a black market emerging or growing stronger for cigarettes because, you know, there's already black market for cigarettes. Uh, in places where taxes are higher, people will buy low and sell high on cigarettes, and that's a black market enterprise, you know. I mean, it's a felony to transport uh, tobacco over state lines, for instance. But that doesn't stop it from happening. If there's a profit and there is a demand, they will be met and the money will be made. And that's just something that is factual no matter how hard you enforce it. So, yeah, you can talk about a black market maybe being bolstered by this tiny little three-year uh, ban being put in. But the real issue I have with this uh, Tobacco 21 legislation is that e-cigarette part. It adds e-cigarettes to our smoking ordinance which says you can't smoke pretty much fucking anywhere. And um, if you can't use an e-cig, if you can't vape anywhere, there's no uh, there's no point to trying to quit cigarettes for these people. Now, uh, a lot of the e-cig boom has been from people who can get nicotine in a way safer and more convenient delivery method. It doesn't stink. Uh, it contains... None of the car- carcinogens that cigarettes contain. None of the fertilizers that 
uh, are added to the tobacco. None of the uh, flame retardant chemicals that are added to cigarettes, because uh, that makes so much sense. All of these things you don't have with the vape. You have nicotine and you have, you know, the medium in which it's in. You have like some uh, glycerin, basically. And it's not, it's, it's way less harmful, way less harmful. But they want to add this so that, you know, if I'm at a restaurant and I'm trying to quit, quit smoking and I just have my vape pen, I still have to go outside to puff on the vape pen. And what at that point? What's the point? At that yeah. point, I don't want the vape pen. If I'm standing outside in the cold, I want a cigarette. cigarette. Yeah. And this is just these people who claim to be for public health. They claim to be for safety. They claim to be for helping people uh, live healthier lives. They're doing the exact opposite in all of this legislation. It's going to push people to make less healthy decisions. It's going to push people to make less safe choices. And it's just infuriating to. Uh, you know, with with Jenny Chadwick especially, just a complete refusal to work with any constituents, a complete complete lack of respect for anybody's opinion who uh, really are her bosses. Our, her constituents are her bosses. She represents us, you know. It's not the other way around. And, you know, it's like this, this recall effort can't come fast enough. April can't come fast enough, and we just need to get her out of there. Amen. Yeah, I mean – if you haven't listened to our repeal day episode that we did last week, please check it out. Uh, prohibition does not work. It will never work. And this is just another example of mini prohibition, you know? Oh, let's prevent 18 year olds from buying this. Like, oh, great. Now they're going to want to buy cigarettes more right. and they're going to go somewhere else to get them. Right. Or, you know, uh, going back to the black market issue, they're still going to get their cigarettes. People will make right. more money. Uh, people make money illegally now. Just like a just like a liquor run, now they'll add cigarettes to the liquor run. It's just ridiculous, and uh, the ignorance on the part of public officials to not recognize and solve these problems in a thoughtful way, and in a scientific based way, in an economic based way. You know, just to run around saying, "Oh, this is bad, ban it. This is bad, ban it." That does not work, and it's based on no science. It's based on no facts. It's just based on a on a feeling and getting everybody riled up and scared, you know, and, mm -hmm. and oh, think of the children. And, you know, if you want to think of the children, do the research. Look at facts. Don't don't look at how you feel about it. Yep. More education. More education. Less incarceration. Yep. Well, did you have anything that we didn't talk about yet that you wanted to talk about? Uh, you know, I think we've covered a lot. We've covered all the things that uh, I wanted to sort of mention. Cool. Yeah. I know you have to get off to uh, nude modeling at the art school. Yes, I do so. have another gig from uh, Mark <laughs> that I'm awesome. doing today. So, do you know what your uh, what the theme is? Or? I'm not sure really. Um, Mark always has uh, a Friday session that's sort of an open session for art students to be able to come to. I think it's weekly from one to four p.m. Uh, in his room in the Fine Arts Building. So it's always something different. You know, sometimes it'll be a number of quick poses, but most of the time it's just a random pose for kids to be able to make up some assignments on, you know. Cool. That's awesome.
Yeah, another thing I wanted to mention real quick, uh, as you know, we're in December now, we're getting into the uh, Christmas season. Uh, if you haven't checked out Crypto Christmas yet, it's a little program that uh, I'm trying to encourage just normal everyday people who aren't tech savvy to hop on board the cryptocurrency train because you know it's it's very intimidating at first uh the first time i tried to play with cryptos was like late 2008 early 2009 and now i'm really mad at myself for not doing it because i could have made a lot of money uh but no one knew back then how big it would have uh, it was going to explode the first time uh the thing is it's still pretty early on in the crypto thing not it's still a very niche thing not a lot of people are involved and you know most people frankly uh, can't wrap their head around it. So I've tried to make a page that sort of walks you through uh, very gently how to how to grab the wallets and how to get started. Uh, the websites for all of these coins have gotten infinitely better in the past, you know, three or four years. Um, and so it's a lot more user-friendly and it's a lot less intimidating. But for real, if anyone has any questions about cryptocurrency, feel free to shoot me a tweet at Spencer W. Pearson or email me at uh, Spencer at BullAfterBull.com and I'll do my best to uh, try and help you through setting up and getting started with a crypto. Uh, so here's that commercial. Hello friends and family, Spencer here. With the holiday season upon us, I've seen wish lists popping up all over social media and in conversation with friends. Now I've never been good at thinking up Christmas gifts I'd like, so I wanted to try something different. This year I'm launching a project I call Crypto Christmas. Instead of asking for gifts, I'm asking all of you to take some time to learn about cryptocurrency. Buy some Dogecoin or Bitcoin and see what you can spend it on. Send it to family and friends for Christmas like a virtual gift card. Convert it into some other weird niche cryptocurrency that you take a fancy to. Or trade cryptos on the open market like stocks. If you're a business owner, you might even consider taking cryptocurrency as an alternative method of payment, giving your customers another way to purchase your goods and services. The idea behind Crypto Christmas is to get people more familiar with cryptocurrencies and learn how to use them in transactions. For an easy step-by-step -step guide on how to set up a Bitcoin or Dogecoin wallet or to find out how you can send cryptos to the show this Christmas, just visit bullafterbull.com slash cryptochristmas. That's C-R-Y-P-T-O, Christmas. I wish you a very happy holiday season and may your bulls burn ever brighter. So yeah, that's the lovely little Jingle Bell commercial. Um... I did mention weird niche currencies. Uh, my two favorite right now uh, that I've talked about a couple times on the show, Potcoin and Cannabis Coin. And I actually did get my Cannabis Coin up and synced and running, and I'm, I'm mining now. I'm, I've never mined any cryptocurrency. So mining is a process where you uh, – I'm actually doing it right now. I've been doing it during the whole show. Uh, it's where you uh, donate your computer's uh, CPU or processing power – to try and solve the blockchain and help uh, solve these transactions. And so um, for that, you're rewarded with a small amount of coin over time. And uh, that's sort of how the whole thing works is from people mining and uh, being part of this blockchain. Um, so if you want Potcoin or Cannabis Coin, usually you can't buy those directly with U.S. dollars. You can buy Dogecoin and Bitcoin with U.S. dollars and then use those coins to buy the other coins. Hmm. So it's a little more complicated, but it's really cool to have an official kind of cannabis movement coin. And so that's why I wanted to invest a little bit in those, and I wanted to sort of participate in those coins. Um, any of the coins that we've mentioned, you can send donations to the show through. In fact, uh, 
we don't have a PayPal donation page up and running yet. It's something that we're going to work on and uh, we aim to do in the future. But right now, the only way to donate to the show is through uh, these altcoins and uh, also with Bitcoin. So uh, if you go to bullafterbull.com in our sidebar, no matter what page you're on, you can see our addresses if, you, uh, if you're if you a crypto nerd and you'd like to send us some. And uh, if you're not a crypto nerd, you should become one. It's not, it's not extremely difficult. Um, there are different addresses. So the addresses on the crypto Christmas page, uh, they're sort of specially for that. So um, if you do get involved because of crypto Christmas, we'd love to hear about it. And uh, we love you to donate to those specific addresses so that we can kind of keep track of, uh, you know, how effective it was and how many people actually participated. So uh, yeah, just let us know, give us a tweet, use the hashtag crypto Christmas. Uh, right now, I seem to be the only one using it uh, this year on Twitter. Uh, so yeah, get out there, uh, make some noise about it. Yeah, well, Thanks for tuning in today, guys, and uh, we'll be back next Friday with more Bull After Bull action. Uh, May your bulls burn ever brighter.